Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another round of the Dirty 35 Prospect Countdown, the podcast version here on the Birds on the Black. And for Prospects After Dark, I'm your host, Kyle Reese. Well, we've done and picked up uh, Prospects 11 through 35 at this point. That's some exciting stuff. And today we're going to go over Prospects 10 through Six. Uh, I really don't have a whole lot to say, and I don't know why I'm delaying right now. I'm just waiting for another cup of tea to uh, be ready to drink. Uh, get ahead of this one a little bit. We're going to do prospects 10 through 6. They are Johan Oviedo, uh, Angel Rondon, Jan Torres, Alaris Montero, and Junior Fernandez in that order. order. Uh, I guess we'll just get right into it. First off, I guess, follow me on Twitter at KYLER416. That way you can DM me or hit up my timeline if you have any questions or thoughts or anything. Uh, You can email me at KYLER416 if you'd rather do it that way. If you want to reach out and talk about prospects or whatever in that that manner, you definitely can. Uh, Just feel free to reach out at at any time. I'd love to talk about all this stuff. And uh, I, I am grateful to have the opportunity to talk about something that I love, prospects. Uh, with people who love them as much as I do. Prospect number 10 on our list is six foot six, 225, 230 pound monster of a human being, right-handed pitcher, Johan Oviedo. Uh, you know Johan Oviedo for a couple of reasons. Probably one, because in 2016, he cost the Cardinals about $1.8 million in the international signing period. The other reason you probably know him, maybe the more, uh, the more relevant reason why you know him, is because Dan McLaughlin talks about him uh, every opportunity he gets during spring training. He talked about him during the, the television broadcast, uh, radio interviews. Johan Oviedo was a player that Dan McLaughlin was most impressed with. Uh, he went out of his way to say that Johan Oviedo had bulked up, uh, that he had gotten bigger, uh, more physically mature than he had ever seen him before. Good, tease done, fam. Uh, and that's fun, and that's nice and everything, but it's, it's somewhat inaccurate uh, and I, I want to start off the, 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 the conversation about Johan Oviedo. I, I want to talk about that, sure, he's, he's more mature. You know, he's a little older now. He's 21 years old. But the difference in Johan Oviedo isn't that he's bulked up. You know, he's always been a big, bulky guy. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the past, he was maybe just a little too bulky for his own good. Uh, after coming to the States from Cuba... Uh, this young man struggled with his weight. He struggled with the nutrition, uh, with his nutrition, and he struggled with his weight, as anyone would suspect from anyone coming into the United States uh, to do. Because here in the United States, we eat nothing but crappy foods and uh, gluttonous treats. And Mr. Oviedo uh, kind of succumbed to that, and he bulked up, but in the wrong way. Now, what what Dan McLaughlin's doing a poor job of enunciating is that he he didn't bulk up. What Johanna Oviedo has done over the last year and a half is he has leaned down. He's gotten bigger. Uh, he, he hasn't gotten bigger. He's gotten stronger. He's turned some of that, that mass into muscle. And that's the difference. And you can really see it, the difference at the end of the 2019 season while he was pitching at Springfield to the beginning of spring training. You could see definition in his upper body in particular. You could also see that he leaned down in his midsection and his lower half. Probably not where it matters, though. My thought about Johan Oviedo is that uh, there was a time when I probably could have gotten away with calling this young man a sleeper. But because of the way that he's been pimped this offseason, uh, the Post-Dispatch has written some really amazing articles along with 
you know, Rob Reigns, uh, along with uh, Dan McLaughlin talking about him nonstop, that he's beyond a sleeper and he's on the verge of busting out when the season starts. Johan Oviedo is really great. He's really interesting. He has a slider curve combination that's good. He has a fastball that has high spin that he can locate up in the zone and low in the zone. Uh, he's especially dangerous with his fastball low in the zone, which is something that I love. Uh, his breaking pitches work really well off of the fastball high, but that he can polish hitters off low in the zone with his fastballs big. Part of the reason why I love our next prospect. Uh, the issue with Johan Oviedo and something that we are hoping to see out of him in 2020 is his command. There are times when he has great command and he is, he is dominant. I want to stress the word dominant. He is dominant when he has good command. But the command that he, when he does have good command, it is fleeting. It doesn't happen that often. He can get away with having average or below average command because of how good his stuff is and still be effective. But you're talking about a five-inning starter at that point. He has more in the tank. He still has room to improve. But his fastball command isn't exactly consistently good. His curveball command isn't consistently good. His slider command is not consistently good. Uh, Command needs to get better and better. Yes, you see the raw talent. You see the big strength. You see the power. You can see the frame built to be a top-tier starting pitcher at the major league level. But none of that is any good without advanced command. The difference between prospect number eight, or prospect number ten on our list, and prospect number nine on our list is command of what they throw. Uh, uh, I probably should have just done ten and nine together because I think that there's a conversation to be had with them together uh, that you can only have with them together, but you can't. But we're just going to stick with Johan Oviedo right now. Uh, as we talked about with Malcolm Nunez in the last version of the prospect countdown. Uh, the thirty thirty five podcast version of the podcast uh, podca- uh, the prospect countdown. Uh, as we talked about with Malcolm Nunez, Malcolm Nunez balked up. He needs to lean down just like Oviedo does, and when that happens, he'll be able to tap into some of his raw, some of his raw athleticism, and that's what we've seen out of Johan Oviedo. Oviedo has tapped into that raw athleticism that you could dream about uh, when he was 18 years old, 19 years old. Some of that, that, that raw natural ability that only the premier athletes in the world possess. And now that he's leaned down, that he's muscled up, uh, uh, he has more to offer. That's what we're hoping to see out of Malcolm Nunez moving forward, but it's what we're seeing now out of this early 20s Cuban monster uh, that with the big high 90s fastball that probably lives probably lives between 94 and 96 miles an hour but if he were pitching out of the bullpen he'd be uh, uh you know 98 99 100 uh that slider that's getting a lot of play right now although I still don't think it's as good as his changeup I don't think he has as good of command or control of it uh I mean as his curveball uh changeup that still needs work but that's a three pitch arsenal there with the life to live at the major leagues. But the question becomes with Oviedo, will his command allow him uh, to, to utilize best the amount of movement that his entire arsenal has? And we haven't seen it. Uh, I would say in spring training, about half of the time we've seen it and the other half we haven't. And I would say that in the 2019 season at both Springfield and Palm Beach, uh, that number projects out pretty well. But there are times when he's feeling it, where he is deadly. Uh, he's, he's every bit as good as maybe some of the top-tier pitching prospects as we've seen come through the Cardinals organization, and that's exciting. Uh, as we say in the article, 
He had a five or six game stint at Palm Beach and more than earned a promotion to Springfield. He struggled at first at Springfield. He was definitely overthrowing. And then when he settled in, he really settled in and it was beautiful. And he, he, he pitched amazing. He was dominant at times at Springfield. His last start for Springfield was terrible. That kind of threw off his numbers. Uh, I mean, it was so bad, it really, really hurt his numbers. He is just something, you know, when you look at that guy and you see that physical specimen that he is, you can't help but get excited about his potential. But even with that potential, even with that raw athleticism that we're seeing, uh, even with the the physical presence that he is, it has to come with the the asterisk that there is still a real command issue here. The other thing about Johan, whether it be in a long inning or late in the start, you can tell when he's fatigued because of how he's finishing. Now, he gets great extension on the mound, and he finishes hard. So, it's obvious when he's fatiguing because he does not extend out as far, and he does not finish his mechanics. It's really easy, really simple. It happens, and it's so obvious. Uh, You know, at the minor league level, kids have to work through this stuff. But if he were ever to make the major leagues, it's very, very obvious when he is tired and fatigued and it's time to go get him. And first off, I'd like to see him continue to work through that. I would imagine the shape that he's gotten himself in this offseason in particular will help him work through that. Uh, But it's also something that the Cardinals have to be cognizant of and hope that he can work through. That's prospect number 10 on the Dirty 35, right-handed pitcher Johan Oviedo. Prospect number 9 on our list, right-handed pitcher Angel Rondon. Now, for those of you who don't know, uh, we were the first ones at Prospects After Dark, uh, Dirty 35 for Birds on the Black, to put... Angel Rondon on the Dirty 35. Last year, we had him as prospect number 26 on the Dirty 35. Most people didn't even know he exists. Even now, you have people like Fangraphs who are completely just glossing over the fact that he exists. Uh, My good friends at Prospects Live, they're not. They're smart. They understand. Uh, Maybe some other organizations and and prospect rankers are still kind of overlooking him. You should not. Uh, What Angel Rondon has, now he's 6'2", 200-ish pounds would be my guess. I, I think he's listed at 210, but I think that that's exaggerating. I think he's right at 200. What Johan, or what, uh, Johan, what Angel Rondon has that Johan Oviedo does not have is command. He has a loopy curveball that I've been told is a slider, but if you watch it, you'll never believe it uh, most of the time. He has a loopy curveball slider thing uh, that he commands well. And he has a fastball, while it's not that monster heater that Johan Oviedo throws, he can get it to 97. I've seen it at 97, but it lives between 91 and 95. What he does well is he mixes speeds while commanding both a fastball and a curveball. The changeup is okay. Changeup still needs work to both lefties and righties. But you'll see him live 91 and then all of a sudden live 94. And then all of a sudden live 92 and then all of a sudden live 93 in a start. You'll see him pump it up to 96, 96, 96. And then throttle down to 91 with the fastball. In, up, left, right. In, up, you know, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. B.I. select start. Uh, He just... He commands the fastball at a varying speeds within a start that make him an old school type starting pitcher. You know, what you were trained to be, you know, I'm 33 years old. What I was trained to be as a high schooler, you know, up, down, left, right, you know, find your find your sweet spot and then jazz it up a little bit and then break it down and then jazz it up and break it down. And then he does that with the, the, the secondary pitch, the breaking pitch as well. But what's really interesting about the way that he handles that breaking pitch, and it, that, his breaking pitch is one of the most underrated pitches in the organization. Because while it's loopy most of the time, I've seen him tighten that thing up and turn it into a conventional slider. I've also seen him tighten it up super and turn it into a cutter. 
Now, I've been told he also throws a cutter, and I've seen him throw the cutter, and the cutter's flat, and I'd like him to stay away from that. I'd like for him to continue to work on the feel of his changeup. But Angel Rondon is just a pitcher. You know, he's not going to have the potential of Johan Oviedo. He's not going to have the potential of Jack Flaherty or Carlos Martinez. Uh, you know, more than likely, his potential is something similar to Luke Weaver's potential because he has that pitchability while he doesn't necessarily have the nastiness or the velocity that, that you see out of the top-tier pitchers. Uh, he, you know, but he's still very, very underrated, similar to what we've seen out of Ryan Helsley over the years. He doesn't have that fastball. Uh, he doesn't have a four-pitch arsenal like Helsley has. But for a very long time, even up until this very date, Ryan Helsley is underrated both nationally and within the Cardinals organization. And that's what Angel Rondon is. Uh, he is really good against lefties. And as a right-handed pitcher, I cannot overstate enough how important that is. I've seen him victimize major leaguers on rehab assignments. That's really important to me. That's something that I like to see. It doesn't mean everything because you don't know what the major leaguers are working at at the minor league level. They might just be working into pitchers' counts to, to work on fending off bad pitches. You just never know. But I've seen him do really well, especially against lefties on rehab assignments. That's something that really, really caught my attention that I love. Now, uh, he spent a good portion of the season at Palm Beach and then moved to Springfield. What I noticed at Springfield is that he's a grinder. Like, even when he doesn't have his best stuff, you can still count on him to go five or six innings uh, because of how efficient he is. He definitely could use a little bit more skill on working on the black. Uh, but, and, you know, as you work through the majors, as you work to the more majors, as you climb the minor league ladder, you're not going to be able to get away with some of the stuff that he does get away with. And that is a concern. Uh, but he doesn't need to move onto the black as much as maybe some other pitchers do because of how good his stuff is. He just needs to avoid the middle of the plate, and he'll be fine. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's against lefties or righties. What we saw is his FIP go up from Palm Beach to Springfield uh, from about, like, I want to say it was like 3-3-4 at Palm Beach to like 3-9-3 at Springfield. Uh, that is partially because his strikeout rate went down. Went from about 25% to about 23%. He's not going to strike out guys at a level that's going to impress you. You know, it's not going to be down like Dakota Hudson, but it's not going to be high like uh, 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 Jordan Hicks or Ryan Helsley or Jack Flaherty. It's somewhere in between. And that's the beauty of Angel Rondon. His pitchability along with his stuff make him a ceiling middle of the rotation pitcher with a back end of the rotation pitcher's floor. He has that. That's who he is. Now, there's always a chance that he gets moved to the bullpen. There's always a chance he takes the Ryan Helsley route, even though he might be a better option as a starting pitcher uh, uh, than maybe even some of the pitchers in the rotation. They might end up pigeonholing him into a bullpen role. Maybe that happens. It shouldn't, just like it shouldn't have happened with Ryan Helsley, but here we are. That's where we're at, and that's how we, we do. And if that's the case, then this is, you know, good John Gant, but for the entire season, not just one month of the season. Like, there, honestly, there's a lot of parallels to draw between John Gant and Angel Rondon, except for Angel Rondon is you know, 21 years old with a substantially higher upside than anything we've ever seen out of John Gant, uh, with maybe more of a pitchability at that age, which would make you think that that would continue as he gets older and older. And that's prospect number nine, right-handed pitcher Angel Rondon. Look, he's one of my favorites. Uh, I think he's vastly underrated within the Cardinals organization and nationally, specifically nationally. Uh, I don't know where he starts. I don't know if he starts back at Springfield or if he goes to Memphis. My guess is that he would start at Springfield. 
and I'm anxious to see what his season looks like when the season gets going. But he's one of my favorites, and I'm really rooting for him because I really like the kid. Prospect number eight on the Dirty 35 is outfielder Jan Torres. Now, Torres just turned 20, and Torres is a lot of fun. Hold on. Got to get a sip of tea. I hope you guys can hear me slurping that. That's probably disgusting. Torres is a right fielder. I'm just going to get the defense of the stuff out of the way. He's quick. He's not super fast. He has playable speed. If you were doing the 20 to 80 grade, he's a, a, a 45 grade runner. Like That means he's just slightly above average speed-wise. He's not going to steal bases, but he's going to get to everything that you would want a corner outfielder to get. He has a really strong arm. He's going to throw guys out. He's not going to throw a ton of guys out. He doesn't have Justin Williams' arm. Uh, he doesn't have Jose Deliz Garcia's arm. He doesn't have Randy Rosarena's arm. It's just that tier below that. You know, it's not not Harrison Bader's. It, it's not Tyler O'Neill's. When Tyler O'Neill's really throwing it, think of it as something similar to Lane Thomas's. Like that's the kind of arm that Jan Torres has. He's a corner outfielder. He's not a center fielder. Uh, he's a smart, a really smart base runner. He has that. He has that baseball IQ that you look for out of an outfielder in particular. Uh, that is definitely there for him. Again, he's going to go first to third. He's going to go second to home. He's going to go first to home. Uh, he's not going to steal bases. That's not in his game. He doesn't get a particularly good step, and that's part of the reason why he's not going to play center field. It's part of the reason why he's good in the corners, profiles best as a right fielder. Where Jan Torres uh, is going to make his money is at the plate. Now, for those of you who don't know how Jan Torres found his way into the organization, he was one of two players acquired from the Cleveland Indians for Oscar Mercado. Uh, he was he and Connor Capel were the two prospects that the Cardinals acquired for uh, the overrated Oscar Mercado, overrated by Cardinals fans. I would remind everybody that he was a WRC plus of uh, 95 in the past season, which tells you he's 5% below league average, even though... He probably helped your fantasy team because he hit a bunch. He hit 14 home runs and stole 14 bases or whatever it was. Definitely a fantasy producer, but maybe a little overvalued by Cardinals fans who want to uh, uh, eat the organization alive. Still a good player. Would be a great fourth outfielder on a new team, just like a lot of the outfielders that the Cardinals have raised in the last couple of years. Not to diminish Oscar Tavara or Oscar Mercado, just to bring everybody back to reality there. Uh Torres has a potential to be something special. He is an offensive producer. You know, he went to Peoria uh, just at the same time Malcolm Nunez did. I think it was a 10 or 12 game stint. And he was terrible. I mean, he was terrible at first. But then, over his last five or six games, and I watched all of them, you could really see him start to adjust to the Midwest League. Now, the Cardinals did what they, that was just, it was a plan. They planned on giving him a taste and then sending him back down to Palm Beach uh, for the start of the short season, Appy League uh, season. He goes down to the Appy League, and he is a dynamite offensive producer. The only person in the Appalachian League who produced more, uh, for, I guess for Johnson City, not in the Appy League, but for Johnson City that produced more, was Chandler Redmond. Uh, but Torres has it all. Look, he has uh, he has a smart understanding of how he's going to be approached in-game, and he still strikes out too much, and that is a concern, and I don't want to gloss over that. But he's also not, it's not beyond him to take a walk or two. You know, uh, we'll get to Aliris Montero next, but what's really hurt someone like Aliris Montero is that Montero has expanded his own zone. And it took him until Springfield, until the Texas League, until dealing with some injuries to deal with it. And what we see out of Jan Torres is if a pitcher gets ahead of him, 
that's when he starts expanding his zone. But if he's able to get himself into a hitter's count, then that's where he really does damage. Now, uh, as he climbs a ladder, he's not going to get into as many hitter's counts. He's going to be working against pitcher's counts, and he's going to have to continue to work on his plate discipline. He's going to have to work on uh, uh, his ability to identify which pitch is coming and how he's being attacked. But that shouldn't distract you from the fact that this is a premier offensive bat that has average to above potential in a corner outfield spot. He, he's a producer. He's he's a doubles machine. You know, uh, if think of a more he's six foot four. He's like two hundred and ten pounds. He is a very very athletic outfielder. But think about him as something like uh, like David Freeze uh, at the plate. Like he's kind of like that. Like. That's his potential. And if you can get that in the outfield for 10 years, and instead of being 26 making your major league debut, you're making a major league debut at 22, then you're talking about staying power. He definitely has uh, work to do with his approach at the plate. He needs to learn how to find his way into a hitter's count from a pitcher's count. That is the big difference. He needs to learn how to sit back uh, on a slider from a righty. Uh, He's going to butcher a lefty, no doubt about it. But Jan Torres has a potential that Oscar Mercado would never have. Even, even as a good major leaguer, even the adjustments and the changes that Oscar Mercado made to put himself on a 40-man and to make him a starting center fielder of a major league team, even though he should probably only be a fourth outfielder, Jan Torres has substantially more potential than that. You make that trade as an organization 100 times out of 100, especially with the Cardinals having as much outfield depth as they had at the time that close to the major leagues. They still have it now, and they just traded Jose Martinez and Randy Arozarena. Jan Torres has a potential to be something special. He has a potential to be Gregory Polanco, something similar to that, uh, not with the stolen base potential, but that type of offensive production. That's Jan Torres. Uh, uh, Again, I'm not... That specialness should not glass... That potential to be special should not gloss over the fact that this recently turned 20-year-old, has plenty of work to do with his approach that makes the danger of his potential uh, loud. Because the potential might distract you from how he's practically applying his current skills. And right now, even though he was a very, very uh, wonderful offensive producer in the Appy League, which is a hitter's league already, uh, it, it shouldn't take away from the fact that he has a lot of work to do to make himself more viable, uh, to get him closer to his potential at the upper levels of the minor leagues when he eventually gets there. I'm actually going for water this time, guys. Sorry about that. Oh, God, I'm parched. The thing about tea is, you know, it kind of dries you out, too, at the same time. Anyways, I like Jan Torres a lot. I think he's wonderful. I think he has a very, very good career ahead of him. I think he has a little bit of work to do, but I love the raw potential that he has. And I don't know if there's another prospect outside of number one on the list, maybe number two on the list, that has the potential to be an offensive contributor on the way that Jan Torres has. And that's why Jan Torres, as a recently turned 20-year-old, the outfielder from the Cleveland Indians organization, is number eight on the Dirty 35. Prospect number seven on the Dirty 35 is Aliris Montero, 21-year-old third baseman, lost. The way we start the article is simply a four-letter word in big, bold letters. And it says L-O-S-T, lost. And that's the only way to characterize the 2019 season of Aliris Montero. After being the MVP of the Midwest League in 2018, 
after putting together a good, uh, maybe not super impressive, but a, a, a very encouraging debut in the Florida State League at the end of the 2018 season, it was tough and it hurt to watch this big-bodied third-base monster struggle at Springfield in 2019. He got off to a rough start, and then right as he started to turn it around, he got hurt. Uh, it, it was like a, a wrist strain at the time. He's gone for a couple a couple handfuls of weeks, comes back, he's in the lineup for five days, and then ends up finding his way to the aisle with a broken hammock, hammock bone. Spends two months on the aisle, and he comes back, and he isn't anything near the hitter that we saw at all in 2018. But the positive was, before we get too far about the negative, the positive about Aliris Montero's 2019 season is he went from being what I described as an Albert Pujols-like third baseman. Uh, if you guys will remember in 20, 2001 and 2002 and 2003 when Pujols was playing third, which is just like kind of an average but funky type average. Uh, that's how I projected him to being something more. He took huge steps defensively at third base. And, uh, like, he's going to stick as long as he can take care of his body. Uh, his arm is a plus tool. It is a, it is a bottom, like, plus at the worst. That's how strong his arm is. As we mentioned about his body, the body is where it becomes really interesting with him. Now, you'll see him and you'll think, man, that's a thick, thick, uh, a thick, thick kid. And he is thick, but he's not thick like with Malcolm Nunez where you know that there's fat there or Johan Oviedo leading into the 2019 season. He is bulky, but it's not wasted bulk. It's strength. He, you know how like when you watch those world's strongest man competitions and they're big monsters, but they're not like, they're not like, um, you know, they're not ripped. That's what Aliris Montero is. That guy will throw a tire before he'll work on building a six pack. That's, that's what his workout is engineered for. That's what he's trying to build towards. He's, instead of trying to lean up his, his, his body, he's trying to utilize every inch of frame that he has to build strong, muscular bulk. Uh, it's a little bit different. So you'll see his body and you'll think to yourself like, man, that kid's maybe too bulky. He needs to skin down. And maybe that's the case. But he doesn't need to skin down as much as uh, other people of his of his size need to. And we know that for a fact because of the way that he's been able to play third base with that muscle build uh, on his frame. So kind of with him, you want to resist the urge a little bit to say, man, this kid needs to skin down. He probably could use some leaning down. In 2018, when he was effective, he was definitely more lean than he was in 2019. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some correlation there. Uh, but he doesn't need to get skinny. He just probably needs to lean down. Uh, not that much, though. And we know that because of how good his defense was. I believe, and I could be wrong here. Uh, I'll probably take it to the grave. But I think the two big differences with Montero between 2019 and 2018 is his approach at the plate, which in 2019 when he was healthy, you could tell he was trying way too hard to do damage. Uh, way too hard to do damage. And I also think what's happening, and that, so that's hurt his approach, because instead of working himself into counts where he could do damage, like he was in 2018, he was trying to do damage early in counts, and it was changing how he would approach the latter part of the counts when he wasn't doing damage early in them. 
what we also saw in 2018 that we didn't see in 2019 is his hips flying wide open uh, at the plate. And I believe that that's because of his front foot timing mechanism. I think he's rolling on his front foot. I think, uh, I think he's just kind of, he's not bringing it up as high. He's kind of just rolling it. And I think that that's causing him to open or fire his hips maybe a little too early. His hands are way be actually, it's definitely causing him to fire those hips too early. His hands are behind his hips. Uh, uh, and what's happening is it's allowing pitchers to throw fastballs by him, but also forcing him to hit a lot of grounders on pitches and in counts where he used to be able to do damage, where he used to be able to pull to do damage. Now, this doesn't affect him so much when he's shortening up and trying to just push the ball to the right field corner as a right-handed hitter. But any time that he tries to do damage, we're finding him getting on top. We're finding that he is getting on top of the ball. And I personally believe it's because of that front foot timing mechanism. I think he's rushing himself through his timing in order to do damage. And it's only doing negative damage, not offensive damage like you would want. And I think that those are the two big keys. I think what you'll see if we ever get this season going, is I think you'll see Alirius Montero struggle at first. I feel like that's what we've seen out of spring training. I feel like you can see and watch him trying too hard to impress the Major League Club. I think you'll see that at the onset of the 2020 season, if it ever gets fired up uh, at Springfield. And I would suspect that you get a couple weeks into the season and you see him regress back into the hitter that you saw in 2018. Now, I think that the template for him is what we saw out of him in 2018 at Palm Beach. I think that he probably doesn't have that type of same MVP caliber staying power that we saw out of the Midwest, but I definitely think that the 270 hitter with a 330 on base percentage uh, and, you know, uh, what would project over an entire season as, you know, 23 doubles and 18 home runs, I think that that's the third baseman uh, that, that he is capable of being. Uh, but if he can keep his body in shape, if he can keep his agility in shape with pretty damn good defense at third base, like it's better than I've given him credit for. There are times where I worry about his mental fortitude. And now this is something that I didn't write about. This only goes into the podcast. But I worry about his mental fortitude sometimes. And I, I, I think that sometimes he gets lost in his own head. And that probably goes to, um, you can categorize it under exactly what we talked about, about how he's trying too hard to impress or whatever, but I think it carries over to the field, and I think that's the only time that I've seen him struggle. He's good coming in on balls. He's good going to both his left and his right. What's really impressed me is his ability to track down fly balls over his head. That's something that I, I'm, I'm so impressed with with him. Uh, it goes to show you that he has that raw, natural baseball IQ. What we've been talking about with Lyris Montero for years is his ability to make adjustments in-game, and we saw that a bunch in 2018. And I think what we need to see is we need to see him revert to making those adjustments in-game instead of pressing at the plate like we saw in 2019. He doesn't need to make an impression. He's already made an impression. He just needs to buy into what he used to be in order to reach his potential in the future. That's prospect number seven, Aliris Montero, third baseman. All right. It's at this point... Uh, as we get into prospect number six, right-handed relief pitcher Junior Fernandez, that I owe everyone a very, very loud apology. I still don't know what to do with relief pitchers at the minor league level. I, I don't know how to rank them. I don't know what to think of them. I don't know what to write about them. I don't know what to say about them. You know, back in the day, everybody who made the major leagues as a relief pitcher was just a former starter. And when I say back in the day, I mean three years ago, three to five years ago and beyond that. Like, 
if if you were at the major league levels as a relief pitcher, it was because you were a major league starter who just only had two pitches and wasn't going to be able to start over the long term. What we're seeing is we're seeing this change. We're seeing organizations turn collegiate starters into relief pitchers the minute they enter the organization. We're seeing uh, starters with arm injury, arm issues, arm fatigue issues at the minor league level uh, turn into relief pitchers with the hope that they can get them to the majors as soon as possible. That's the case with prospect number six, Junior Fernandez. Now, because of this, I, I haven't been able to adjust my own personal preference. I used to completely ignore minor league relief pitchers because there wasn't a reason to invest into them. Honestly, like very, very little of a reason. So what you have is you'll look and you'll see prospect number 17, Cody Whitley, uh, relief pitcher, right-handed relief pitcher on the Dirty 35. And then you'll see prospect number six on the Dirty 35, Junior Fernandez. And the truth is the gap between those two is not as far as I made it. And I apologize for that. Uh, If I could do it all over, I'd probably make Whitley number 11 uh, between Oviedo and Malcolm Nunez. When in reality, Junior Fernandez and Cody Whitley are pretty close together. The other thing I would remind everybody is between Ryan Helsley and Andrew Kisner and uh, uh, Henesis Cabrera, at least right there, that would change this entire conversation. Junior Fernandez would be nine on the list. And if I had moved Whitley to 11, he'd be 14. Nine and 14 actually makes a lot of sense for these two. But since I I decide to get aggressive and graduate people off the list early, uh, it, it changes where they fit in. So... Prospect number six is Junior Fernandez. And the reason why Fernandez gets such a high rating is because of how dominant and how filthy his stuff can be. You know, uh, where Cody Whitley throws 96, Junior Fernandez throws 100. Where Cody Whitley has a command of a slider that he maybe, his command helps play the lack of stuff up. Now, let me me rephrase. Whitley has an above average slider movement wise and above average command of it. That helps the slider play up to a plus potential. Where Junior Fernandez has a slider that has plus movement, but average command of it at best. But the movement makes you understand that there's more potential there. Same thing with the changeup. Uh, while Whitley has an average changeup with above average command of it, which makes the changeup play up, uh, Fernandez has a potentially, I mean, for a very long time, Junior Fernandez's changeup was one of the best pitches in the organization, and no one talked about it. Uh, it is potential to be like a 70-grade changeup, a true plus-plus pitch. But just like with anything else, he doesn't always command it the way you would want. You know, uh, Junior Fernandez has Jordan Hicks command, where you can see all the nastiness. But if he's not commanding it, then you just don't know what you can bank on. Uh, so the difference in between Junior Fernandez, why Junior Fernandez gets to be substantially higher than Cody Whitley on the list, is because Fernandez's stuff is way filthier. He's already on the 40-man, and he's already made to Major League Impact. There's no guarantee that Whitley will ever do that. Um, I I mean, I think there's a guarantee, but there's just no guarantee because baseball is baseball, and there's no such thing as a guarantee in baseball. So other than that, what can I tell you about Junior Fernandez? I can tell you that this young man... Uh, to my chagrin, this 23-year-old, he's kind of a slow worker, and it's kind of frustrating. Now, it's not Pedro Baez slow, but he's slow as compared to nearly every other pitcher in the Cardinals organization. He's he's definitely one of the slowest workers in the organization. He's methodical about it. Um, and it's funny, too, because it annoys hitters. 
and hitters step out, but that actually feeds Fernandez. Like, you can see him getting upset about it, and that hones in, like, his focus, and he wants to make those guys look bad. But that works for him. It doesn't work for everyone, but it works for him. It's a motivating uh, skill, and I love that. I Like, I love that he recognizes that. I love that he works off of that. Uh, I'd like to see him work a little faster, but honestly, what I just want is I want him to be as effective as possible. As I say in the write-up, I firmly believe that Junior Fernandez is the kind of arm that the Cardinals would have done well to have on the postseason roster. Uh, you know, he only had like 10 appearances at the Major League level. Might have been nine. Two of them were absolutely shite. But the rest of them were all pretty good. Uh, and that's the kind of arm that makes a difference in the playoffs. You know, it's not Brand, It's not Brandon Webb's arm. It's not uh, our Tyler Webb, Brandon Webb. Holy cow. Uh, shout out to the... 2006 Arizona Diamondbacks or whatever. Uh, it's not Tyler Webb's arm, you know? It's not John Gant's arm. It, it's it's something more. It's something special because of the 100-mile-an-hour fastball, the potentially plus-moving and definitely plus-moving changeup. Like, it's a kind of arm that would stifle a good offense, uh, but you just have to be aggressive with it, And which brings me to my next point about Junior Fernandez, is you know right away if he has it or he doesn't have it in an appearance. He reminds me a lot of Trevor Rosenthal, in that aspect. You know, other than Mike Matheny, I think everyone that watched a Cardinals game knew when Trevor Rosenthal had it or didn't have it. And the same thing is with Junior Fernandez. You'll watch him. You'll know if he has it right away or not. It's just up to the manager to go get him uh, when he clearly doesn't have it. And Mr. Matheny would never do that with Rosenthal. And hopefully Mr. Schilt will do it with Junior Fernandez. And then just wait to use him for the next day. You know, uh, that's Junior Fernandez. Uh, to summarize the number six prospect on the Dirty 35, right, 23-year-old right-handed relief pitcher Junior Fernandez, the former starter at the, ma- the, the minor league level, uh, who ended up dealing with fatigue issues that cost him the mid part of 2017 through the mid part of 2018. Uh, see, now I want to go into the narrative stuff. Anyways, it cost him the mid part of 2017 to the mid part of 2018 because he was dealing with arm issues. And then he eventually became a relief pitcher who eventually made it to Springfield in 2018. Uh, started the year of 2019 in Palm Beach, which allowed for a completely false narrative about uh, how magical it was that he made it from Palm Beach to the major league level. When really the narrative should have been that the Cardinals were stupid to start him at Palm Beach and should have just started him in at Springfield. Uh, but anyways, what, what Junior Fernandez is, is a premier arm from a relief pitcher designed to be a relief pitcher at this point that can definitely that has a potential to be uh, a shutdown fireman slash closer at the major league level with the stuff that will wow you on a nightly basis if he can just harness his command a little bit which isn't too much to ask from a 23 year old you're not talking about a 26 year old that needs to harness their command you're talking about a 23 year old that needs to harness their command that's an elite arm it is an elite arm no doubt about it it's just a matter of him honing that control if he can't do it then he's not going to reach his potential he's definitely not going to be worth the number six spot on the dirty 35 he's probably not really worth number six spot on the dirty 35 now i really would like to change that and move him back uh but the potential is there for him to completely shut down both left-handed and right-handed bats at palm beach he struck out like 35 percent of hitters at uh springfield and uh, memphis he struck out like 30 percent of hitters uh, both left-handed and right-handed, he is dynamite. He is a potential dynamo. And when he's comfortable and relaxed, he's pitching good. And when he's not pitching well, it's up to the manager to go get him because it's obvious and clear. And one more time, I'd like to apologize because I still don't know how the hell to handle these types of relief pitchers because 
of how baseball has changed with an emphasis on relief pitching being as strong as the emphasis on starting pitching. And those are prospects. 10 through 6 on the Dirty 35. Again, uh, just to recap, prospect number 10 on the Dirty 35 is right-handed starter Johan Oviedo. Prospect number 9 is right-handed starting pitcher Angel Rondon. Prospect number 8 is outfielder Jan Torres. Jahan, I believe is what it is, but I'm going to call him Jan Torres. Prospect number 7 is third baseman Aliris Montero. And prospect number 6 is right-handed relief pitcher Junior, Junior Fernandez. Uh, again, uh, thank you so much for listening and, and playing along at home. I am your host. I'm Kyle Reese. Uh, follow me on Twitter at KYLER416. Email me at KYLER416 at yahoo.com. Uh, I love questions. I love talking about this. Uh, any way you want to do it, I'm about it. Uh, if you listen to this, you're part of the Reese resistance. Come back and we'll have uh, the, the pod of prospects one through five for you probably in the next couple days. Uh, and as always, family, happy hunting.